Hey, it's Sarah. That's What She Said is presented by Coors Light, the beer made to chill. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Be sure to check out the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. This week, Mina and Nate Tice discuss the season outlook for the Denver Broncos, Los Angeles Chargers, Las Vegas Raiders, and the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. You can find the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny wherever you get your podcasts. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. My name is Brandon Copeland. My dilemma is trying to figure out what the world will look like two days from now, two weeks from now, two months from now, two years from now. I think that's the world's dilemma, but as a businessman and just as a human being in general, I'm trying to figure out what the world will look like so that I can kind of beat people there. Oh, Brandon, you're really speaking to me right now. I was just talking to actually multiple people about how the first like three and a half months of the pandemic, I was doing a really great job of just addressing what was right in front of me. Like I'm gonna handle today, I'm going to you know, look ahead the next couple days, make sure I've got my schedule in order, but I'm not going to think ahead at all. And I'm a complete control freak and compulsive planner. So being willing to just let months go by and realize that you know, vacations were gone, work trips were gone, you know, really cool planned uh, stuff that, that was in the works for years were gone. I was kind of OK with it for a while. And then it became summer. And then it got a lot harder to not look ahead and not plan. And then it was about our kids going back to school. And then it was about what happens to sports, right? We kept holding up the summer and the fall as like when all these sports would be back and life would return to normal. And instead we're watching as our country is so poorly handling this that we can't just look ahead and expect the best. We have to wonder how much longer we'll be in the worst or if it could get even worse. So I wish I could give you great advice on wondering what the world's gonna look like in a year or two years. And you absolutely could go down a ton of rabbit holes and read on the internet some experts' predictions for how our world will change because of COVID-19. Something tells me it will be a downer, <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of a downer. So only do that if you are in the right mind space to kind of explore and try to understand that better. For me, I'm trying to work hard on getting right back to where I was at the beginning of this, which is handle the things that I can control handle the things directly in front of me, make the kind of plans that are necessary for the couple days in the future or weeks in the future if need be, but not look too far ahead because there's too many unknowns. And I've said this a million times on the podcast and I'm coming back to it again. My favorite Tom Petty quote, most things I worry about never happen anyway. There are way too many things to worry about in the future. I'm not going to let myself get lost in that. Uh, So I would recommend that, but to each their own. The commish has spoken. Brandon Copeland is a linebacker who signed on with the Patriots in March. Uh, Also spent some time with the Ravens, Titans, Lions, and Jets. Played college football at Penn, and uh, I first found interest in him because I learned that he interned at UBS over his summers during college. And then in uh, 2017, in the offseason, took a job on Wall Street. He has since uh, returned to Penn to teach a financial literacy seminar, also does uh, house flipping and opened a real estate company with his wife last year. So lots to get into. We talked about joining the Patriots this year and his altered expectations when they drafted two linebackers after his signing. Also, what it's like to imagine a season during the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Also got into his 2019 PED suspension, uh, how he looked up to his grandpa as a kid 
and how a knee injury kind of taught him that education would be really important to his life in the case of football going away. Uh, he gave us his top financial literacy tips for the students that he teaches at UPenn, uh, talked about his not top 10 moment on SportsCenter and more. Great convo, really fascinating guy. I think you guys will dig it. That's what she said. So I first heard about Brandon Copeland, I'm sure as a football player, but more specifically as the football player who was teaching financial literacy to his fellow players. And uh, Brandon came on Spain and Company, my regular national ESPN radio show, and I knew I had to get him onto the podcast to find out more about his background and how he ended up being the guy who teaches Life 101, which is uh, a necessary class, I think, for many of us, myself included. I know I'm going to get some financial literacy tips here myself. Uh, so, Brandon, thanks for being on the show. Let's let's start way back when. Um, your grandfather was a Baltimore Colts player. So would you say accurately that from, you know, right out of, you know, being a little kid, you had aspirations to follow in his footsteps? Yeah, I think I, I definitely did. Um I, I, I think it was really wanting to be an athlete, you know, wanting to play basketball. Basketball is my first love. You know, everybody wants to be be like Mike, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. growing up and, and stuff. But uh, I think God had other plans for me when I kept taking trips to the Husky section and, you know, just bigger body, bigger boned, as they like to say. Uh, and, and football just came a lot more naturally and instinctive uh, to me. So, you know, while my grandfather was, he, he was a grandfather first, you know, never pressured us to play football. Football was kind of one of the things he was kind of like surprised that we wanted to do. And one of the last things we talk about, however, uh, as a young kid looking up to, uh, you know, the, the patriarch of the family, um, it, I would be, I was definitely interested in following in his footsteps. So you played football, basketball, and track. What were your track events? Shot put, discus, uh, yeah. The beefy ones. Track days, yeah. yeah the the track, those track yeah. days, exactly. I was so a heptathlete, so I also did uh, shot put, and I did discus in high school too. So Nice. Good for you. Yeah, my D-line coach. It was probably one of the best things that happened to me, though. My, my D-line coach, uh, he was also the head track and field coach. So, you know, you we had to play, run track and field, and – do that warm up mile every day. Jesus, mm -hmm. what was he thinking? Right. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, you know, it's paid off for me in terms of just form technique and everything. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Those three sport athletes, I'm telling you, they're becoming fewer and farther in between. And all the experts say not to specialize and not to overuse the same muscles year round. And unfortunately, a lot of kids aren't listening, but uh, yeah. it served you well. What, at what point did you realize that you were talented enough at football that it might be something that you could play collegiately and then maybe even beyond that? Yeah, I think for me, you know, going into ninth grade, I was a late bloomer. Uh, so I didn't really blossom on the football field until maybe senior year. But short and husky, good combo. Yeah, short and husky. <laughs> you know, I think I was like, I was trying to play quarterback freshman year, baby, baby Byron Leftwich. Uh, but they, I remember my uh, football coach called me, nicknamed me the minivan, you know, not the bus. He was like, you're not, you're not the bus, you're the minivan. So, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, but I, I, I always had the mindset and the work ethic, you know, I got that from my, my grandfather my mother, my father as well. And in, in terms of just, I know how to work for what I want and I know how to set goals and go get them. Uh, and so mentally it was always like, Hey, this is something that I can do. This is something that I want to do. And just physically, you know, it took 
you know, I'd say senior year, a nice growth spurt, uh, losing just 21 pounds right before camp for things to become easier and to really like put myself above my competition on the high school football field. You know, I was always good, but at that point in time, it's, it becomes, I mean, obviously to go to the next level, you have to have a, a different level of talent and the things that would have been more challenging junior, sophomore, freshman year. Now it was just, you know, these are natural routine things. So once that happened, then obviously college was, wasn't, was an aspiration. Uh, but then, you know, once we got into college, my favorite rapper is J. Cole. This is mm-hmm. completely random. My favorite rapper is J. Mm-hmm. Cole. But one of the things that he says, one of his lines that I love, he, he always says, if they don't know your dreams, then they can't shoot them down. Mm. And so I've always been very conscious of that. So even while going into uh, freshman year, it was just, you know, in the back of your mind, you go into an Ivy League school. So it's not like there's people in the NFL that I can look up to or, or picture myself as or use as uh, an example, so to speak. But, you know, I didn't want people thinking like, oh, man, this guy, you know, this guy is crazy. Right. So it was just I just kept it to myself. I'm always working, working hard, outworking people, doing my best. Um, and then I think about it was probably the end of my sophomore year where in my mind it really was like, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't have to necessarily voice it, but this is what I'm trying to do. And then finally, my junior end of my junior season was when, okay, let's go ahead and stamp, jump off the cliff, so to speak, let everyone know this so that, um, you know, you, I I mean, personally, that, that kind of motivates me when I kind of put stuff out there. Once I put it in public, then it's on me as a person to deliver, because if not, then I failed and I look, you know, I I, I don't like uh, letting people down, so to speak. So sure. So you, um, before we get to you, Penn, when you were in high school, you, um, you were the scholar athlete of the year, uh, in 2008 academic all state team. So clearly you were always into, to education. Um, was that something that had to be pressed upon by your parents or was it natural? Was it, I want to do football and I care about school or was it an, you know, something that required real, um, dedication on their part to keep you yeah, to the I think I think it was both. That's a great question. I think it was both. I think it was more pressed upon them because initially they set a standard. So um, I tell people this all the time, like my mom was not allowing me to play sports if I did not have A's and B's. Like she said, I'm going to work. I'm doing X, Y, Z. Like your job is school. And I tell kids that all the time, like your job is school. You have nothing else to do. Right. Like this is your job. This is your one focal point. And she meant it like it wasn't one of those things. Well, oh, you know, you can kind of cry and get out of it. Like if your homework <laughs> wasn't done, you're not going outside. Right. Um, but naturally, I remember in middle school, like I literally would not come home with books because I would literally get the homework done while the teacher was talking in class. Like that was like my goal. That was my challenge was like, can I get this stuff done so I can literally come home with books? And at a certain point in time, my parents like, what are you doing? Like, what, where are your books? Where are you, are you studying? What do you, you know? And so, you know, we went to, ended up going to Gilman to get a more challenging, uh, academic, you know, I guess a, a better academic challenge. Um, and also more opportunity, but I also say my grandfather, he always, I think he was the cool factor, right? Being the guy that was in the league um, and 
I remember there was a time in high school where where kids were making fun of me trying to say, Cope, the only reason why you get good grades is because you try hard. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's kind of the point. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And Your whole and, school is hipsters. We don't try. <laughs> we don't care about anything. Right, <laughs> right. And and my, my grandfather passed away last year, uh, January 6th. And reflecting on his influence on my life, I remember him driving me to school and, and him always talking about, man, Kobe, you're just like me. You got you get good grades. You play football, basketball. I always had all A's and B's like, you know, keep it up to great work. And for me, that was the cool factor. That was who I could yeah. look up to and model myself after. And a lot of kids just don't have that. So I was blessed because I'm still trying to be like my granddad. You can say whatever you want to say about me, you know, the, the high school kids, but I'm it's okay. Cause I, I'm trying to be cool. Like my granddad, Right. a lot right. of kids don't have that. So, you know, if I didn't have that type of standard at home, then, you know, maybe I would have tr- started trying, <laughs> you know, trying to get worse grades. I don't, it sounds weird saying it, but we all know how high school, you know, is a peer pressure time and stuff like that. I'm just fortunate to have a, a foundation or a village that really embedded the value of education in my heart. For sure. Absolutely. So you end up at UPenn. Um, You know, first of all, I'm sorry you didn't get into Cornell, which is clearly (laughs) a superior school. Uh, You know, we wouldn't have been. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Uh, The great Ed Marinero, Heisman Trophy winner from Cornell, just slandered by Cope. Um, (laughs) So did you what where else were you looking to go and how did you end up deciding on Penn? Yeah. So I was I really wanted to go to Syracuse. Uh, I just remember Upstate like, New York. You know what else is in upstate New York? Yeah, I know. Cornell. I know. It, last place. game of the last football game of the season. <laughs> oh man. It's so cold up there. Um <laughs> yeah, I really wanted to go to Syracuse. Really wanted to play big time football. Um, I remember my college counselor at the time they said, Hey, like I think you should look in the Ivy League schools. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, right. Like that's not what I'm trying to do. Do they do they sell out their stadiums? I'm not trying to go there. And I remember my third to last game of my high school season, I'm captain of the team and somebody goes down on kickoff return. It's funny because at the time I'd never played special teams since like seventh grade. But, you know, we're years later, halftime, my coach comes up to me. Hey, Cope, we need you to go in on special teams. We need you to be in the wedge. Oh, I got you, coach. I'm the captain. I got you. Say no more. Right. And I remember getting out there and just being like, this looks like war. Like I've never seen it from this angle. And one of my own teammates falls on my, on the back of my leg and, and my ankle pops. Ooh. And it was again, the third, the last game of the season, I remember limping around the rest of the game and the rest of the year. Fortunately, I was able to finish the season, but I, I just wasn't the same. Couldn't, wasn't, wasn't nearly, uh, didn't feel confident in the player I was in comparison to before. But for me, that was always like the lesson of, hey, all of the people in your life who told you, hey, you're one play away from this thing being gone forever, they're right. <laughs> and so for me, um, I literally, that was the time where I was like, okay, hey, if I have the opportunity to go to an Ivy League school, my brain is something you can't take away from me. Um even though that might be a little bit debatable now, but my brain is something you can't take away from me. Let's go ahead and let's uh, let's pursue this. And again, kind of looping to the last thing we just talked about, my grandfather ha- had said to me, hey, because I really was not for it. You know, you think about Ivy League, you just think, you know, 
pretentious and, and all these different things. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, that is not, you know, I'm a kid from Baltimore. It's not really what I'm trying to trying to dive into. But one of the things he said, hey, man, if you're good enough, they'll come find you, right? If you're good enough to go to the NFL, they will find you. So go there, get a great education. And I'm sure if you want it bad enough and you work hard enough, you can make it. So again, having him that presence in my ear to say, okay, hey, this is okay. I can do this. You know, I'm huge. That's what helped. Yeah. Guide me down that path. Cause if not, it might not have, uh, you know, maybe I would have gone to, a. I think I was looking at like the Towson's, the Wofford's, uh, New Hampshire gave me an offer, William and Mary stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, got this great education at the same time. So you exactly. end up at, at UPenn, which is a fine school, and <laughs> you're the, <laughs> you're the captain of the uh, Ivy League championship winning team in 2012. Um, I too was captain of an Ivy League championship winning team at a you know another fine institution. But um, <laughs> so you graduate from Wharton School with a Bachelor of Science in Economics. So the Wharton School is the business school, but you can get a full undergraduate degree from studying there or were you able to get uh, a graduate school degree while going as a, a football player? Yeah, no. So the Wharton school is a under is the business school, as you said. So we able to get a full undergraduate degree. So it's pretty great. You weren't because, that like, much of an overachiever. I was like, did nah, he graduate nah. from grad school too? <laughs> no, nah, the, uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Cause sometimes I, when I went to Penn, I had no idea how big of a deal Wharton was yeah. in the business world. I remember my, the the guy recruiting me came down to visit me in high school and was like, man, you want to play football? You know, you want to, you want to do business? Like you got to come to Penn. We got Wharton, you know? And I'm like, Wharton, like, who's he? Like, is he a coach? He going to come visit us? Something like who's, who's this Wharton guy? And then literally probably, it wasn't until sophomore year. My roommate is a big, uh, he was really, really, I mean, some kids you meet and you're just like, okay, this person is born for this. Uh, John Onwalu, he's born for Wall Street. And I was just like, you were born to, to, to do this, and he's doing it now. Um, and he showed me this book, Running of the Bulls, and then that's when I realized, like, oh, this is actually a pretty big deal. Like, I didn't realize like how competitive it was to be here, get in here, and all these types of things, and uh, how much of a, you know, how much pride I should feel. But there's a lot of people who have no idea what UPenn is, but they just know Wharton. Right. <laughs> which is which is pretty funny because I I literally had no idea myself. I'm just thinking UPenn, right? So um, so yeah, I lucked up, got in there, got some. Uh, I tell people I have pretty good eyes. You know, I got some <laughs> pretty good peripheral. No, I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But uh, but no, yeah, I, I was able to get in there, graduate. Um, you know, like you said, with a management and entrepreneurship major, interned in finance uh, my entire time you know, money, the, the, the classes that they were doing to teach finance were a bit above my, my pay grade, a bit above my level, so to speak. So I was like, you know what, I really actually am more interested in, in creating cultures and owning cultures and leading people. Um, so I, I decided to study management entrepreneurship, which has paid off for me pretty well but also intern in finance and get those, that experience, um, you know, because again, I, and we'll probably get into it, but there's a difference between, as you know, there's a difference between 
book smarts and street smarts or book smarts and common sense or, you know, what you learn in the major versus what you do actually on the job, so to speak. So. All right. So you, you're graduating from UPenn. At what point did you start to trust your grandfather's advice that they would find you wherever you are? Yeah, I think uh, my, my, my senior year is when I really, uh, so, so I think best way to answer that question. My senior year is when obviously it was like, let's go for football. Right. I, I, the beautiful thing about taking the internships in the previous summers where, you know, as sad as it sounds, it's great. You get a great experience, but you also meet a lot of people who have a bunch of regrets and <laughs> who've, you know, taken the quote unquote safe route or the chosen route. And it's worked out for them on paper. It works out for them from the outside eyes. But, you know, I've one of the things when I went and did my internship and I think it's paid off for me my entire life is like I, I just I will have to be me. So I'm going to ask you questions that I really want to know the answer to. I'm not just going to ask you some BS questions. So you feel like I'm a really smart intern. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of those conversations were, you know, about happiness and are you happy? And I've literally had 40 some year old people, men and women talk to me about how they're not. (laughs) And, you know, they, they're able to provide a nice lifestyle for their families and they go on vacation and, you know, it's it's all good. I'm happy that they're healthy, but you know, ultimately, like what they're doing on a daily basis doesn't really fulfill them. And so for me, going into my senior year, I was like, I have to give this everything that I have. Right. Um, and and make sure that I set myself up while, you know, I'm a big advocate of having a plan B or multiple plan A's that there is a time and a place and so that year, I, I, I was going through an in, uh, interview process with uh, a couple of companies. And at a certain point, I made it to the final rounds. And I remember telling the companies, like, I, let's not even go through with this interview just because if I'm trying to go to the NFL and I don't want to put you in a place where you've hired me and I'm telling you, no, I'm going yeah. to, you know, to take this shot. Because then that's a, you know, that's a negative relationship or I might burn a bridge as opposed to really? me telling you early and we can revisit this if it doesn't work out. So for me, you know, I wanted to really take that leap of faith um, and, and you know, go all in on football. My second semester uh, senior year, which is, you know, when you're training for your pro day and all of those types of things, I had to stay on campus to finish. You know, I was like, there's no way I'm going to come back <laughs> and, and, and do this. So let me go ahead and stay on campus, finish, you know, set my schedule up where it was convenient or conducive to football. But literally, you know, January 21st of 2013, you know, I'm squatting. I've never had any major injury in my life at that point in time, knock on wood. And, and you know, I'm squatting. And I'm literally doing 445 pounds, five sets of two. I'm literally on the last set last rep and I'm going up and I just hear my knee pop. I feel my knee pop and mm-hmm. I see it just cave in. And I'm just like, wow. And everything just slows down. I'm like, wow, that was, that was a good career. Like this is, guess this is it. Fortunately, I get the, the weight up. Long story short, I tore my meniscus. I had to have surgery. Uh, so going into the league, it was kind of tumultuous because I had six weeks to uh, typically a meniscus, you have six weeks. It's like a six weeks rehab process. I had six weeks to, until my pro day. 
So like I needed to do run the fastest I've ever ran in my life, jump the highest I've ever ran in my right. life in six weeks. So, you know, that was a whole nother mental battle in and of itself. And I remember just doing what I needed to do to get that shot, get that opportunity, you know? Um, and and it, it was, it's amazing looking back at it, but those examples though, like that's an example of what has, what I've gone through personally that allows me to understand like, Hey, this thing can be gone like this. Totally. And so that's why me taking an internship in the off season is more beneficial than me playing video games in the off season. Right. I mean, it's no no offense to the video game players because right now there's some of them are getting paid. They're thriving. They're thriving right now. This is (laughs) a peak moment for them. Right. But for me, a lot of the internships, especially now, internships, shadow experience, all of those types of things, the meetings and stuff that I'm taking, trying to gain that mentorship are things that I'm trying to not master, but just gain a better understanding of for myself. So I'm going to intern at a hedge fund so that I can understand how to manage my own money and how to uh, leverage myself better or deleverage myself, um, how to evaluate my own portfolio. I don't have a financial advisor. I always manage my own money. I always figure if I've worked very hard for it. If I lose it, I'm going to be extremely pissed. If you <laughs> lose it, then I'm going to be com- <laughs> three times because it, it's my fault for giving you my money and not taking the time to learn it in the first place. So um, so for me, taking on those internships, we're always trying to like I'm taking um, crazy notes just to try to learn what I can do to change. I mean, to use this platform, use the NFL to change my life. But more importantly, my family's life, uh, the the people we we're able to help with our foundation beyond the basics and all of those types of things as a result of us being financially stable or having financial freedom or just understanding business and how it works. You know, it's not all just about, yeah. One of the things I'm learning is, you know, even my foundation, like one of the things I'm learning from a foundation standpoint, for example, is like, it's not all about, it's not all about just how much money you have, right? It's, It's about marketing. And, and so for example, when years ago, last year, I mean, not even years ago, last year, if we're doing, we're doing a grocery right now, we're doing, uh, uh, we call it be a blessing. We're basically in impoverished neighborhoods. We're given the, like, if you go to the register, it'll be just surprised that these groceries are already paid for, for you. Right. Last year I would have just paid, we're doing 10,000 in three different cities, Baltimore, my hometown, New Jersey, my wife's hometown and where we are now and, uh, New England, uh, we're hitting all five States in New England. And last year, that would have been all money from my pocket, like literally all money from my pocket. This year, it's still money from my pocket, but now we're marketing it as we're matching up to X, right? right. So now we're getting other people who have donated where they've doubled it, and now we're amplifying our impact, right? But it's just simple things, just understanding how business works where it's not just about, cause I think a lot of times people see those articles and they just think, or not just those articles, but they see things and they think, okay, or you're selfish or you're trying to make money for yourself and all that type of stuff, which yeah, I am. That's fine. Right. I, I have no, you're allowed. That. Right. <laughs> but two, it also helps other people for sure. <laughs> as well. So 
So that's the Beyond the Basics, Inc., which is your foundation. And I know the NFLPA offered up uh, an award for your foundation uh, this year, the Alan Page Community Award for Charitable Efforts. So $100,000 coming from the NFLPA to your foundation, which is a really cool thing to get, uh, not just the the money that helps out the cause, but the recognition from your peers, which is great. I want to get into more of your um, finances and, and some of the ways that you've handled your salaries and stuff. But quickly, I want to go through because you are an NFL player and we've sort of glossed over all of that. So let's get <laughs> back. So um, your path, Ravens, Titans, Lions, Jets, and now the Patriots. So you were an undrafted free agent in 2013. I heard you do another interview where you said you're pretty pissed about that, but you were you know happy at least you got a look from your hometown team in the Ravens, but you never actually saw a regular season action until the Lions in 2015. Played there for a bit before going to the Jets. Um, and with the Jets, um, you were suspended the first four games of the 2019 season for PEDs. You had a heartfelt statement on your Instagram about, you know, the supplement that you took and the research that you thought you did. Can you take me through that? Because you are so informed and educated and you are someone who has established himself as very thoughtful. Um, so that must've been extremely frustrating for you to feel like, uh, (laughs) yeah, take me back to that. Yeah, no, I remember, I mean you get the letter and your heart just drops, especially, I mean, I, I I guess it's different for some people when you've intentionally done something wrong. Right. Like literally, Oh, they got me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're like, okay, I would have known. Right. But, but with me and and, uh, that's the funny thing. Cause when I was figuring these things out, I'm like, and I've called my lawyer who's also one of my college, my former college teammates. I'm like, listen, I know everyone says that they didn't do this, but like, you know me, right? Like, and we literally, I mean, you go from checking it with the team nutritionist beforehand, screenshots of that. Uh, You go from sending it to a science laboratory to be checked and show and prove that it's contaminated with something that wasn't on the label like you you i, I literally went through Man, everything I could to try to show like like i i could not do anything better like that was one of the things when we were going through the appeals like what else would you tell me to do that i didn't do to like check this and verify but you know everything happens for a reason and i'm a big believer in everything happening for a reason um it, it you know some people say that and then when the bad stuff happens, they kind of like, oh, why? Right. Like, no, like everything happens for a reason. And it, it was definitely extremely, oh, it was tough. I mean, mentally, the brand, the the brand that I've tried to build for myself off the field, the the kids that come to my football camp, you know, I'm I'm just thinking when it happens, you're just thinking like where all of these things could go. Right. And for me, uh, one, I knew, I knew my intentions in my heart. So all of that is good. I'm, I'm good with that. It just feels like, you know, when you, you've worked so hard to build something and literally it can be gone, as we all know, it can be gone in an instant. I'm, <laughs> I mean, it, as crazy as it sounds, I remember during that time, literally Googling myself and I'm like, look at this, all PED stuff, branding this, branding that, right? And literally, if you Google me right now, you'll see nothing because we've already done so many other amazing things right. not to cover that up, but it just shows like the person, right. if you, the person can't be beat, so to speak, if you're doing things in, with the right heart, right intentions. So for me, it was a t- tragic time. I remember at the end of the season, my buddy 
tweeted something about like the top 25 people find in the NFL last year. Me, I'm in front of Antonio Brown or, you know, no knock on him. Well, that but seems I'm fair. Of, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I got <laughs> that checks out. $400,000, you know, gone. And I mean, and that's just like from the games that I missed. Yeah. Which as a financial person, I mean, come on, that's my kids college tuition yeah. a few times. Right. Yeah. Um, but besides that, there's also the opportunity that you miss, right? There's the opportunity to go out there and get sacks and be with your team and build that camaraderie and all of those types of things. So fortunately, you know, I was able to battle back through that and, and all of those types of things. But, you know, that time is something I'll never get back. You know, we're currently going through uh, the proceedings with the the supplement company now, but you know, God will take care of everything. And fortunately for me, I mean, to go, I was actually thinking about it or one of my, one of the, my buddies who's also a board member of the foundation brought it up the other day, but to go from September or August, whenever it was released, uh, PED suspension and that being your name to Alan Page award winner. Right. At no the kidding. end of the year, right? I mean, it just shows you. It's not just much about bigger me. picture it's than more just about, that. Yeah. Exactly. It's more about like you know. Again, it's it's, it's more about what what I've been able to to. It's not me building it, but what I've been able to support. I guess. Yeah, for sure. So you stick with the Jets for a bit, and then this year in March, you sign a one-year deal with the Patriots, um, a new era for the Patriots. Before we get into the changes at quarterback. Um, you were probably uh, signing that deal, believing yourself to be a starter in New England. And then on draft night, uh, they drafted two linebackers high in the second <laughs> and third rounds. Now, no guarantees yeah. either of those youngsters are going to start either. But what is that night like for you when you, you enter a team and you sign on with one expectation and then that changes? Yeah, I think for me, it's, you know, it's. I, I think with coming into New England, I always have had the expectation really coming into the NFL, my expectation has always been um, allow my work to speak for itself. And it hasn't always been the case in different teams that I've been a part of. One of the things that everyone has said about the New England Patriots is your work will speak for you. And, and those who do the work and should be on the field will be on the field. And so for me, I've always just been, especially as an undrafted guy, I've always been let that's fine. <laughs> you know, I don't want a job. I don't, I don't want you to give me anything. I have no problem working for it, but allow the work to speak for itself. So on draft night, I'm happy that we're getting a stronger team, right? As an undrafted guy, you're always kind of watching, watching, I guess, who you pick and you know, right? Like I'm not going to sit here and, and, and act like you don't notice it or recognize, okay, well, you clearly, uh, you clearly are bringing someone in the room. You feel that the room isn't strong enough already, or mm -hmm. sometimes that was just the best player that they felt was available, which is okay. That's out of my control, out of my, above my pay grade. It's nothing for me to, to even discuss or debate. I've had the chance to meet these guys, mentor these guys. And I'm just excited that, that they're on our team. Um, and I have the opportunity to, to have an impact on them. Right. But then ultimately when the ball is kicked off training camp and all of that type of stuff, we know this is a competitive sport. This is what have you done for me lately? So for me, you know, it's ground zero and, and let's let the chips fall where they may. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident in myself when it comes to that. 
I love that. That's the approach to have. I mean, if you want to, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So now you just got yeah. some competition to push you. Yeah. Um, make you better. Let's talk about Cam. Uh, the Patriots had said repeatedly, you know, Jarrett Siddham's our guy. They've played more, I think it's 424 something straight games with a homegrown quarterback. They're used to the guy not being someone acquired via trade. Um, but Cam's just sitting there for almost an absurd, I mean, a league minimum with a bunch of incentives. So an exciting time to see that quarterback competition and everything. Uh, what did you make of that signing when you heard about it? Yeah, I, I'm, again, similar to when Josh and Anthony were, were, were signed it's, it's, and, and the other guys in the room. I'm excited for the, the opportunity. One, I think, you know, I'm excited for one to just be a Patriot and to see how everything operates. As somebody said, you know, I'm going to get to learn from the best coach, the greatest coach of all time. So mm -hmm. I'm going to get my MBA in football. And two, I'm excited to see how competitive uh, everything will be. Right. And, and how that competitiveness clearly, you know, let the last 20 years speak for themselves, that competitiveness drives greatness. And so to see, you know, the, the quarterback room, Hoyer, Stidham, Newton. I'm excited to watch these guys not duke it out, but yeah, yeah, build each other, right? Grow each other. I mean, again, football is one of the. I mean, I, I was amazed my rookie year in Baltimore at how this is one of the most blatant, competitive, cutthroat sports, cutthroat industries in the world. I remember when I was interning at UBS, it was right off the recession, uh, right off the, the 08 crisis. And they were uh, firing like 2000 employees across the board type of thing. Right. So it, that was scary for a lot of people in the NFL. You're literally in a room and you know, okay, it's 10 of us and they're only <laughs> keeping four. Yeah. Yet you still find a way to laugh with this person at lunch. You still find a way to, to joke and help each other out, rehab with each other, teach each other things. And you just understand that you can't stress what you can't control. So I'm excited personally. You know, I'm excited to see a, a, a hungry Cam Newton. You know, um, I know what it feels like to be the guy counted out. You know, I remember like you alluded to earlier when I was not drafted. I think that was the expectation for a lot of people. I don't care if it was the expectation for a lot of people. To me, it pissed me off and it put a chip on my shoulder. You just said me. You just told me that all these people were better than me. Okay, let's see. Let's see who's who's still standing today, right? And I think that Cam also feels that as well. But Stidham probably feels that as well as well, and Hoyer probably feels that as well because the entire offseason, people have been saying, "Hey, is Stidham ready? Hey, can Hoyer? Is their quarterback room strong enough?" So again. You know, I'm excited to see just what we all can do together, how we all can push each other, even in my room and what I'm trying to do, um, you know, how great that makes me as a player. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like that. Like you said, it's hard in sports because you obviously want the time, but you also want the team to succeed. So um, you find ways to sort of lift each other up, even though you're technically um competing you're you're joining a new team in the middle of a global pandemic where you're, you're not even supposed to be like be around people what's it been like to try to learn you know learn the playbook and get to know your teammates and coaches from afar so yeah so i mean trying to learn a new playbook meet people understand people in the midst of a global pandemic is is definitely challenging presents its own challenges uh however 
you know, relative to clearly the, the, the different stresses that a lot of people have to deal with, uh, during this, it's, it's, it's small. So, you know, I'm, I definitely feel a difference. You know, you can't walk through plays, you can't, you know, push each other during workouts, all of those types of things. You're going to miss that camaraderie, right? Get to know and trust each other. Uh, however, you know, it's football. You, you get on the field and and you you figure it out fast or you you <laughs> or you're gone. <laughs> they'll find somebody else to wear your jersey. So um, are you worried at all about the season not happening or being cut short? I'm not worried about it not happening. I'm worried about, yeah, being pushed back, delayed. Um, you know, I mean, I think that we'll find a way. You know, I'm not in any of those conversations. I think that we'll find a way. I'm, I'm leaving that up to to them. I, I just, you know, looking at everything going on, it's it's a, it's a tough task to to make happen and, yeah. and to pull off. So I do not know, envy the, the decision makers. At yeah, all. exactly. Those decision makers. We you get us through this. You you deserve some raises. I'm gonna go <laughs> right, ahead and right. put it put it out right. there. Right. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier about you know your brain and as an educated person who has big plans outside of football, how much does that weigh on you? The idea of CTE or potential effects on, on you long-term? Yeah, it, it, it definitely, it's something you think about. Um, however, you know, you try to make sure that you're playing the game as safe as possible. You also try to make sure now you're, you're real and, and as honest with yourself as possible, you know, uh, in terms of what you're feeling, what your body is feeling. You know, I think that that's just the only way you, you, have a chance when you come out of this of being healthy, right? You know, my grandfather, he, he played the game and, and, you know, they weren't getting multiple massages per week. They weren't doing all of the different recovery things that we were doing. You know, they were still smoking cigarettes and, and all of that type of stuff at halftime. Right. So, um, so, you know, it's definitely a different game. However, you know, I just one try to play it as safe as possible, use my shoulders more than my head but to, you know, just pray, pray and take care of your body as much as you can. Um, and, and that's another reason why, you know, you, you just do everything you can with the platform in the moment that you have so that you, if you ever do feel like, Hey, this is not feeling right anymore. You feel confident enough financially to walk away. You know, you Mm -hmm. feel that the finances aren't, holding you back or, or tying you to, uh, injuring yourself anymore. Yeah. That's a really smart approach to it too. The idea that you don't feel required to stick into something that doesn't feel right anymore because it's your only option. Uh, you talked about your finances a lot. And as people started to learn about this, you know, football player slash finance professor professor. And, uh, based on one of the stories, it's, it's 60% of your post-tax salary goes to long-term safe investments, 30% to savings. And then you live off the other 10 to 15%. Is that still your plan? Uh, yeah. I mean, when we did that article, uh, I just wanted to be completely transparent. I did not come out there and throw out the percentages. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> they, you know, I, cause I, when that came out, I'm a like, creative wow. license. They some, yeah. They threw out the percentages. I mean, you know, cause it, for me, it's, it's nothing. It, it's not something that I quote unquote hold myself to or anything like that. Um, I actually, you know, probably spend less to be quite honest with you. Uh, but it's more about, 
you know, what can I be doing now? Live like no one else now so that later on you can live and give like no one else. And so for me, we're, you know, I try to make sure it's another thing I do in my class life 101. Um, we're creating a platform and everything for it. Um, and one of the first things you try to, I try to get my students to do and people to do is understand your value system and what you value and why. And, and for me, with my value system, it just lends itself to not spending that much money. You know, my, I don't buy expensive jewelry besides my wife's wedding ring. Um, you know, smart man. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, Honey, I found that. a great right. place to save. <laughs> right. CZs um, all day. Got her some, got her some rubber workout <laughs> yeah. rings and said, Hey babe, it's going to pay off. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think, you know, my value system lends itself to that. And for me, I am trying to make sure that I, I, I mean, based off of my career, but also just in general, I just never want to have to be dependent on anyone yeah. uh, for how my family will eat tonight. What's so, the toughest, what's the toughest part about it though? Because I'm sure it's, it's good in principle. And then every once in a while you're like, but I really do want, you know, a Lambo yeah. or whatever. I was like, what's, what are the couple things that you've been like, all right, this time this is worth spending on. Yeah. I, again, I'm, I'm fortunate. I, I've, my dream car is a Lamborghini. Um, but I, I just won't, I couldn't see myself buying it. You know, I, I'm just a little different there. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. It's well, like, cars are the I, dumbest investment. I know people love yeah. them and everyone's going to hate me for saying that, but no, like, no, no. they just it, depreciate it, as soon as you sit in it yeah. and it doesn't <laughs> yeah. just buy a vacation think, house or like something that's going to make you yeah. money off the back end too. For me, I'm I'm going to the biggest thing I try to spend money on are memories. So a vacation, cool, right? Uh, something that I'm going to be old on my deathbed, I'm gonna look back and be just smiling, right? Like yeah. I might, you know, that 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 is something that I'm spending money on. Uh, like my wife and I, we we had six people at our wedding here in my house, uh, and and you know, a lot of people were pissed off about that, but then we took the money we probably took half the money we would have spent on a wedding in New Jersey or New York. And, and we went literally around the country, went to, <laughs> went to Vietnam, uh, Thailand, Barcelona. No, we didn't go to Barcelona. We went to Brazil, Chile, um, all over the world and one other place. Yeah. See, like, I can't even remember, but like <laughs> that we were all gone for like three and a half weeks. And like, those are those memories you're talking about. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> like, and, I can't and, remember, but I will when I look at the picture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so that for me, that's what it's all about is, you know, um, what can I do like that? That also sets up my family, my, my son, yeah. all of those types of things. So for me, when I splurge, I get little, I guess, little, uh, what do you call it? Fads, I guess. So like there was one phases. I was one time I was in a dad cap phase. Right. <laughs> and I literally just went out, but it was like $300 in dad caps. Yeah. And again, stupid a lot of them i don't wear now but it's 300 dollars in dad cap right. i'm making you know I, I i'll be okay right that's my splurge for the year i don't go out i don't buy tables i don't do any of that type of stuff not that there's anything wrong with that but for me it's just not a smart money spend you know yeah. and, and so that's why i think about my dollars is i want it to work for me rather than me work for it so you're teaching the class uh that you've sort of termed life 101 financial literacy seminar with uh, Dr. Brian Peterson at uh, Penn's Maku Black Cultural Center. Um, it's about 
realities of life, how to you know build for retirement, how to invest, how to handle your money. What are the three biggest things that you want your students in that class to walk away knowing? Like, what are the things that you Ooh. that you think that everybody should know just just for life? Yeah. So first and foremost is your why, and these are going to be some general principles, but but these are things that like. That this is why people are, are missing or, or messing this up. Uh, your why. So what are you working for? What is the point of money to you? Right. We've, we've we're in a society where we grow up and, you know, I go to I speak to a bunch of kids. I make them put their heads down. I tell them, raise their hand. I'm like, hey, how many of you want to be successful? Raise your hand if you want to be successful. Everyone wants to raise a hand. Right. No one. No one's keeping their hand down for that question. Right. How many of you think, you know, having a, a certain amount of money will make you successful? Probably get literally about 90 percent of the people doing that. So we've as a society, we've tied money to success uh, or success to money. Uh, but what I want my students to know and understand is like, what is their why? What are they chasing? Right. Because without that, why? Then you're just a hamster on a hamster wheel. You're just that person that's clocking in and they're, you know, you're that person that I was talking to at my internship that, you know, hey, I'm I'm not really that happy, but I am I'm providing for myself and my family. And that's okay for some people. It's no offense to anybody that's doing that now. But, you know, I think before you leave this earth, you want to get to the point where you're you're living in your why and you're making sure that you're you're not just a hamster on a hamster wheel running in place, but you're taking steps towards that. Um, so that's one. Two, we'll cover self-esteem and pitching yourself and understanding yourself. One of the things that's not documented about my class or not really seen because uh, we turn the cameras off when we do that, but is I make my students answer uncomfortable questions every day. So you literally, the first day of class, you have to introduce yourself to somebody you don't know. Literally stand up, boom, pair up somebody you don't know, walk across the room, introduce yourself. You got a minute and a half. First day of class, it might go 45 seconds. And then you hear quiet, you hear crickets. I'm like, dang, it took you 45 seconds to introduce yourself. You can sum your whole life up. You can sum who you are up in 45 seconds. Okay, cool. I can't, Mm -hmm. right? But then by class two, it's a little longer. Class three. You, by the end of the semester, they're going literally overtime, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and, and and by doing that, it's not just introducing yourself, but it's also, okay, hey, you want to, I've been posed with it. You, you want to work for this company. You want to work for us. This other person has a higher GPA than you. Why do you deserve to work here o- above them? Oh, okay. Well, let's, let's do this, right? Let's talk about this. You want to raise. Okay. Well, you know, tell you, tell me why you deserve a raise. Okay, hey, we're letting go all these people during the midst of this pandemic. Why should we keep you, right? Like real uncomfortable questions and just throwing it at them on the fly and practicing that stuff. So we, by the time our students leave our class, they're comfortable having real conversations. That was one of the things I felt like at Penn I would be successful at is because while there's a lot of people who have better GPAs than me, you know, textbook, book smarts, they'll have it, but they couldn't have a conversation if, <laughs> if their life depended right, on right, with right. anyone, right? So, so that's another thing. So your why, and also just self-esteem. From a money standpoint, a financial standpoint, you'll know how to plan and budget. That's the first, you know, the first class, right? And, and, and the one I have you know, trouble with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so you won't, 
our first class, you won't set yourself up for a trap. My hope is right. Like, and, and so what I mean when I say that our first class, we, we do a budget If we've created a budget that we walk through and I literally like moderate them through it. And so I might go, okay, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Okay. You want to do this? Some people don't know. Okay. Well, how, about how much do you want to make? Right. Cool. All right. So you, some people know what they want to be. Okay. Well, look up the average salary of what that actually makes. You start hearing some groans around the class. Oh, oh, hold up. You know, put it in the, the sheet. Okay, cool. You want to live where? New York City. <laughs> okay, cool. You want to, uh, what type of apartment? Okay, cool. Look up the average rent for that. Then they put it in. And then it would just keep going. You want Netflix? You want Hulu? You want this? You want, Di- sorry, ESPN. You want Disney Plus, right? Okay, cool. <laughs> it's wow, part of the wow, bundle. Wow. You're good. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, your cell phone, you're going out, the, you're going out to party, right? You're taking people out to party. Okay, cool, right? All right. So now by the time they've gone through this whole budget, now you get, I mean, I remember the first class, a lot of kids were like, I'm $4,000 in debt and I haven't even touched a student loan yet. Right. Yeah. I'm, I only have $500 to spare. Right. And so for me, it's, 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 that's the class that's not, it's not a kill your dreams thing. It's more of like, Hey, this is why this matters because a lot of us we're we're in society and we get this offer that we've always wanted. We've always heard it was great because everybody else, around us would perceive it as greatness, but you don't actually take the time to really evaluate it. And now you've moved up to New York. You've already signed your 12 month lease. You've already, and you've, you've, you haven't done the math and now you set yourself up for failure. Like you set yourself up to be in debt (laughs) right out the gate. Right. And so just being able to teach kids things like that will help save them. Some of the horror stories we've all heard or, or, I've personally heard of, yeah, my first seven years out of college, I was battling credit card debt or, uh, totally. you know, my first house. A lot of it's just not understanding. Wrong. And like people get like, I remember my parents gave me a credit card and they were like, don't use it for a lot of stuff. Use it every once in a while and we'll pay it off. And then your credit will start from a very young age. So you'll have good mm-hmm. credit without you needing to have the financial ability to support that credit. Good plan. Right. right. But I would see <laughs> things that were like credit card limit and I'd be like, oh, I wonder that it must be bad to use your credit card unless you spend a certain amount. So then I would like buy more thinking that yeah. it was like better. Like, but I didn't really understand why the right. store would say you need to have X amount of dollars on your, on your bill to use a credit card or whatever. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I think it should be a class in high school. Financial literacy should absolutely be a class in high school, but uh, you're doing, you're doing good work. And uh, many of us need it. Even those who are already in a position where we should, I do have a financial advisor because I can't do that shit nice. myself. I suck at that shit, nice. but uh, maybe I need to take your class. Um uh, as long as you lower myself to you, Penn standards for, you know, as long as you're measuring it, you know, like, again, there's nothing wrong with having a financial advisor. I want to, you know, make that clear. It's just more about, uh, especially for a lot of us athletes, like, yeah, it's and just trust. people in general, it's like, it's, 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 it's also just measuring them, right? Like, are they doing a solid performance with your money as opposed to something that you could have done yourself totally charging you fees and inflation right. and all well and I mean, you hear the horror okay. stories where there was you know a hockey player whose parents were stealing money for from him yeah. you know there's yeah. a comedian whose brother was stealing millions from him so like even people yeah. that you think you should be able to trust it's tough i heard one horror story this is probably one of the worst ones I, well i've heard terrible ones like that because family is is really rough but it's one a basketball player was trying to get his financial advisor to turn over his statements. You know, wh- why are you charging me? What's the fees? How are we doing? All that type of stuff. Months go by. 
wasn't able to get him, wasn't able to get him. Long story short, has someone else with a new wealth management company that he was trying to work with step in and go approach the old financial advisor to get these statements. And once she looked through everything, uh, they found out that the the old financial advisor was charging this player $1,500 per text message. Jesus. Thumbs up per emoji. so messed up. $1,500. And the sad thing is one of the reasons why I try to share as much as I do and, and try to collaborate and create groups and webinars and talks is because that former financial advisor probably has some clients today. Totally. That and it's pulling the same thing and they just don't see those day. numbers. Yeah. No one talks about it. So that's, yeah. that's an issue. Um, well, it's been awesome talking to you. I have to let you go, but before you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition, the 10 question speed round. Number one, what's your Desert Island album? You can only have one. Oh, J. Cole, Friday Night Lights. Nice. Quick with that. Uh, two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Work ethic. Is that Good a one. quality? Habit? Yeah, that works. Uh, number three, what would you consider your biggest failure? Oh, uh, biggest failure. Too deep. Uh, long story short, my grandmother passed away when I was in eighth grade. I should have visited her in the hospital, but I was just being a young kid, too lazy to do so. And she passed away. So literally ever since then, I've never had a regret. So big mm. time. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Yeah, a few of them. Never lost. Never tell, lost. Tell Floyd Mayweather we can fight right Never now for lost. about $100 million. <laughs> tell, tell him, I'll, just, I'll you lose You got hands. Pounds. Okay. All right. I mean, just, I'm, not, I'm getting knocked out for so. $100 million. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think I would be too. Uh, number five, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Oh, uh, as crazy as this might sound, my son. Okay. I just realized yesterday he get, he he's about to turn one next week and – Last night, I, my wife was cutting his fingernails. I was lotioning them up after a bath. I'm like, and this dude is just sitting here laying like fingernails. I'm like, this dude has it made. Jesus. He's like Akeem from Coming to America. He's got yeah, the rose I'm petals like, every time he comes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, uh, living like a king. Uh, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Oh, I shouldn't even say this, but there was a, a, a game well, my football embarrassment moment was a preseason game, Titans versus Packers. It was raining in Tennessee. I can't remember what game it was, but Matt Flynn, I made not top 10. Matt Flynn, like, fumbles the ball. I try to run and grab it. He literally, like, grabs my jersey, and I slip. But it looks like he just yanked me, and then he reaches and jumps on the ball. And I was like, yeah, I should be cut right It now. looks like Matt Flynn just took you out. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Uh, number seven. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Oh, uh, my patience. My okay. patience is is something I definitely need to work on. I am actively trying to improve it. I'm also trying to improve just existing in the moment and okay. not. That's a good you one. Know, with so many different things going on, you kind of always right kind of like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Yeah, I just need to kind of put the phones down, disconnect, and. 
and exist. Be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number seven, if you could be commissioner of life for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society would have to adhere to? Gotcha. Commissioner of life. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the president can't tweet. No, I'm joking. Oh, it's uh, a good one. Yeah, it seems let's see. wise. <laughs> um, no, I would just say that you, anything, it would pre- be kind of like the golden rule. Anything you do to another person, you have to have done to you. Yeah. So I yeah. think if, if that was like the rule and the set and the standard, then people would be a lot, a lot of people would act a little different. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> uh, number nine, what's the most scared you've ever been? Ooh. Uh, I got in a car accident in 2016 and did a 360 on the road. And when I did it, I could see a big white van coming Ooh. towards me. And I literally was like, okay, this is, oh, uh, this is it. It's been a good, good life. Uh, <laughs> and fortunately I went to the, uh, you know, I got out of the way ricocheted and, and it went past. And then an 18 wheel went past and like literally shook Ooh. my car with no scratches or anything like that. But wow. that's a, another reason why I live the way I do. Yeah. Like you got to get it now. Cause this thing can be gone it's scary. whenever you want. Uh, number 10, what three words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Humble, uh, caring, and fun. Hmm, those, those are, are good ones. Simple words. Yeah, yeah I like them. Uh, and then finally, who should I have on this podcast? Who's someone like fun or great or cool that I should talk to? Ooh. Doesn't have even have to ever? be sports, could be anyone. Oh, okay. I was about to say, Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx would be a good one. I haven't had him on. He's working on that uh, Tyson movie, too, so it's a good little sports guy. He might be down for some ESPN pub. Um, This was super fun. I'm going to give you a little uh, tidbit. I'm sorry to to keep going, but Jamie Foxx is one. I don't really have too many idols or role models or anything like that. Well, no, I have a lot of role models and people I look up to, but but he's like an idol. When I was young, I've only seen this E True Hollywood stories one time, <laughs> and it would told me that he was his real name is Eric Bishop from Texas. Uh, he changed his name. He, he basically, long story short, his real dream was to sing. Yeah, at least that's the way they phrase it in, in the, the the series. His real dream and passion was to sing. He changed his name from Eric Bishop to jamie fox because he saw comedy as a way to get him a, a a shot but really he saw more women were getting uh gigs at local clubs so yeah. he changed himself to his name to a gender neutral name so that he could get more gigs at the club at the clubs and stuff ended up using comedy to obviously do and have the career that he's had acting all of that type of stuff but then has clearly spun it to his ultimate goal ultimate passion of singing so in his jamie fox show you see him singing and all those yeah. types of things injecting yeah. so for yeah so for me it was always like i saw it maybe in like sixth or seventh grade but it was just like wow like i respect the hell out of that and and that's what i'm doing <laughs> you know using something that you're good at to continue to just open the door and other passions and and areas that you're you're you you're interested in so that's really cool eric bishop if you get him on let me know shout out eric bishop i will for sure so i can podcast bomb or something oh i would love that set you guys (laughs) up um brandon this was awesome it was so great to talk to you sounds good i appreciate you taking the time 
That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me, and I fix it. This week, the executive fit section at a department store. Now, I heard, you know, Brandon mentioned those husky clothes as a kid, so don't even get me started with those, because, you know, I can't imagine what that does to a kid's psyche to be in the husky section. But no, I'm tackling a different section entirely. I've heard of this when a relative said he went looking for the portly section, and the man at the suit store sent him to executive fit. I am learning now that this is what big and tall men get to wear when they size out of a couple XLs. Now, I got no problem with euphemisms. I would much rather shop for executive fit than portly. But here's my issue. Where is the women's version of I'm so successful and at the top of the corporate food chain that even my clothes are named after my achievements? Like women just get plus size, curvy, full figured. One day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this. Because if to paraphrase Jay-Z, ladies is pimps too, then why can't bigger ladies be executives? Why are all the descriptors for plus size women's clothes about their size and the men get to stroll into the executive section of a store? That's trash. I would suggest perhaps a boss section, all caps. But unfortunately... It would end up being a bitch section because we all know when women get powerful enough, they get called that a lot more than boss. All right. I feel good about what we accomplished today. Went down a little rabbit hole on executive fit clothes and came out wondering why even the names of our fashion mean the man is trying to hold us down. So someone get Anna Wintour on the line. I want bitch section. Let's do this fashion world. There, I fixed it. If you got a dilemma for the commission to fix, tweet it to me at Sarah Spain or go to the iTunes or podcast app, subscribe, rate, and review, and leave the dilemma in your review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 